0: CHAPTER Four, PART A, OF ACES UP BY COVINGTON CLARK. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. VICTORY McGee, holding up the nose of his camel at an angle that gave the motor every ounce it would stand, was thinking the same alarming thought that had just run through Larkin's mind. It would be just his luck to be spotted by the searchlight crew, and held in its beam. If so, would they recognize him? Would they see the ringed cockades on his wings? or would eager anti-aircraft gunners start blazing away? Even if they recognized the plane, his whole plan would be knocked into a cocked hat should that tell-tale streamer of light point him out to the enemy planes above, who must now be looking sharp. Darkness was both his ally and his foe. McGee was too experienced to have any mistaken notions about the hazard of his endeavor. He knew what he was up against. In the first place, any bombing plane was a formidable foe and he could not know how many were coming on this mission. All bombers were heavily armed and had the advantage of having at least one man free to repel attack with twin machine guns. Many of the heavier German bombing planes carried crews of four or five men, though these were used in attack on highly important bases and would hardly be sent on a mission of this nature. Such machines were quite slow and not capable of being maneuvered quickly. But their very size added to their invulnerability, and their heavy armament made them a thing to be avoided by any single fighter mounted in a pursuit plane. Many pursuit pilots had learned the bitter lesson attached to a thoughtless, poorly planned attack upon a bomber or two-seater observation bus. They looked like an appetizing meal, but one must have a strong stomach if he finishes the feast. McGee knew also that the oncoming raiders might be pursuit planes converted into bombers by the simple expedient of attaching bomb releases carrying lighter pellets of destruction which could be released by the pilot. This was not an unusual procedure, especially when the success of the venture might hinge upon speed. Such planes could strike swiftly more easily avoid archie fire, and having struck their blow, could outdistance any antagonist with the nerve to storm through the night sky in pursuit. So as McGee climbed he realized he was facing the unknown. The prospect of a raid had been his challenge. The size and strength of his enemy was unknown. So be it, he thought, and warmed his guns with a short burst as he continued climbing. Their quick chatter served to reassure him, and for the moment he quite forgot how useless they would be, should he chance to go crashing into one of the bombers. He felt that all would be well if only those saps on the ground would cut that searchlight. Didn't they know that it would simply serve as a guide to the plane whose mission it would be to dive at the field and release ground flares to mark the target for the bombers? Of course they wouldn't think of that. Green. And with a lot to learn. Two or three times the beam of light flashed perilously near him and once his plane was near enough to the edge of the beam for the glass on his instrument board to reflect the rays then a moment later the glaring one-eyed monster dimmed glowed red and darkness leaped in from all sides but only for a moment other lights from more distant points were still combing the sky these concerned red not so much as the one near the hangar strangely as is the way with men at war he cared not so much what wrath might be called down on other places if only his own nest remained unviolated indeed he found himself entertaining the hope that the raiders might become confused and drop their trophies in someone else's backyard. then as suddenly as a magician produces an object out of the thin air one of the distant searchlights fixed upon one of the enemy planes it was a single seater mcgee noted and though somewhat southeast of the position he had expected, it was already pointing its nose down on a long dive that would undoubtedly carry it to a good position over the drome for dropping flares. McGee knew the tactics. This was the plane whose job it was to spot the target for the bombers and then zoom away. Then the vultures would come droning over the illuminated field and drop their eggs. Red kicked his left rudder and came around on a sharp climbing bank. By skill or by luck, the light crew still held their beam on the black-crossed plane, and in a twinkling two other lights were centered on it. McGee made a quick estimate of distance and of the other's flying speed. Then he nosed over slightly on a full throttle and drove along a line which he thought would intersect the dive of the enemy. He could hardly hope to get him in the ring sights. It was a matter of pointing the plane in what he thought was the correct line of fire and let drive with both guns the wind was beginning to scream and tear at the struts of the hard-pushed camel speed was everything now if that diving german plane once dropped its flares the others somewhere in the darkness above would sow destruction on the field the distance was yet too great for anything like effective fire but mcgee decided to take a chance after all the whole thing was chance he had one chance in a thousand to thwart their plans very slim chances for bagging one of them and some excellent chances to get bagged very well he found himself saying in answer to these swift thoughts carry on rat tat 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 both his guns began their scolding chatter too far to the right and below he ruddered left and pulled her nose up a trifle there again the guns spewed out their vengeful chorus at this second burst, the German plane seemed to yaw off, then righted itself, leveled off, and flew straight at McGee. Red felt a momentary elation that the enemy had at least been made conscious of the attack, and was, for the moment, forced to abandon his objective. Two beams of light still held him mercilessly. Doubtless they served to blind him, and this advantaged McGee, who, unseen in the darkness, kept his vickers going. Some of the bullets must have gone home, for the German swerved suddenly, and began a series of acrobatics in an effort to escape the lights but disturbed as he was he evidently kept his mission in mind for he continued to lose altitude and thus draw nearer the field where he could drop his flares mcgee decided to nose over and then zoom up under his belly by far the most vulnerable point of attack but one in which the moment of fire is brief indeed for camels will not long hang by their props just as mcgee dived the enemy swerved quickly and also began a dive his diving angle was sharp his speed tremendous doubtless he had determined to carry out his mission and get away from an exceedingly hot spot as quickly as possible by the fortunes of war his diving angle cut directly across mcgee's path close almost too close a brief burst spat from mcgee's vickers in that heart chilling moment when collision seemed inevitable but mcgee pulled sharply back on his stick and zoomed whew it was no cinch this fighting a light-blinded enemy mcgee glanced back the lights had lost the plane as suddenly as they had found it night had swallowed it now there was an unseen enemy that might ah mcgee sucked in his breath sharply a tiny tongue of flame was shooting through the sky for a second it was little more than the flame of a match but in a few seconds it developed into greedy licking flames that turned the german plane into a flaming rocket the pilot manfully seeking escape from such a death began sideslipping in a vain effort to create an upward draught that would keep the flames from incinerating him in his seat for the briefest moment he did a first-class job of it and mcgee who a minute before had been hungry for victory felt first a wave of admiration for a skilful job of flying and next a surge of pity that it must be of no avail. Even now the plane was wobbling out of control. Then it nosed over and plunged earthward. A flaming meteor. Fascinated, McGee watched the plunge, climbing a little as he circled. He was three times an ace with two, for good measure, seventeen victories in the air, but this was his first night flamer. It was far more spectacular than he could have imagined, and somehow a little more unnerving a moment ago that doomed creature had been a man courageous enough to undertake any hazard his country demanded enemy or no he was a man of courage and in his own country was a patriot mcgee felt very weak and not at all elated after all he knew there were no national boundaries to valor or patriotism and however sweet the victory it must always carry the wormwood of regret that the vanquished will see no more red dawnings and go out on no more dawn patrols that plunging flaming plane was as a lighted match dropped into a deep well the deep well of oblivion the plane struck the earth some three or four hundred yards to the west of the drome the flames leaping afresh lighted up the entire vicinity mcgee looking down could see the dim outline of the hangar tent and the running figures that were racing toward the burning plane he smiled rather grimly and his eyes searched the heavens above him the vultures had their target now at that moment one of the restless searchlights singled out one of the bombers high above him and two other streams of light leaped to the same spot another plane was caught in the beam the anti-aircraft now had their target and they lost no time there came two or three of the sharp barks so characteristic of anti-aircraft guns and coincident with the sound the bursting shells bloomed into great white roses perilously near the leading plain it rocked noticeably and shifted its course then seemingly all the arches in the countryside within range and out of range began filling that section of the sky with magically appearing roses that in their blooming sent steel balls and flying fragments searching the sky the upper air was quickly converted into an inferno of bursting shells and whining missiles of jagged steel the enemy bombers due to the delay caused by mcgee's unexpected attack upon the plane whose mission it had been to drop the ground flares had now worked themselves into a rather awkward formation and were faced with the responsibility of making instant decision whether they should now release their bombs in a somewhat hit or miss fashion or run for it and individually select some other spot for depositing their TNT-hate as they made their way homeward. The embarrassment of their position was but little greater than that of McGee's. The burning plane offered sufficient light for landing, but it was also lighting up the hangars in the field, and he momentarily expected the enemy to let go with their bombs. It would not be pleasant down there when those whistling messengers began to arrive. His present position was equally unhealthy even though he had considerably reduced his altitude. Any minute, yes, any second, some searchlight crew might pick him up, and there is never any telling what an excited anti-aircraft battery crew might do. McGee made the decision which is always reached by an airman who finds himself in unhealthy surroundings. He would simply hightail it away from there, until the shouting and the tumult subsided. He swung into the dark sky to the north, and then dived down until he felt that any less altitude would be extremely likely to bring him afoul of some church steeple or factory smokestack. One of the German pilots decided to take a chance and release his bombs. Their reverberating detonations were terrifying enough, but aside from the ugly holes they made in the open field, some five hundred yards away from the drome, they accomplished nothing in the balance of warfare the other planes finding the welcome a bit too warm took up a zigzag course toward the fatherland but in a general course that would take them back over nancy where they could find a larger target for their bombs mcgee looking back could see the searchlights sweeping eastward in their efforts to keep the fleeing planes spotted but their luck had already been great indeed and now they were again feverishly searching the black and seemingly empty sky "'Good time to tool this baby home,' McGee thought, as he swung around and headed for the drome, its location still well marked for him by the flickering flames of the fallen ship. "'Poor old Nancy,' he said aloud, as he realized that the thwarted bombers would likely spew out their hate on that sorely tried city. "'I'm sorry to wish this off on you, but you are used to it, and these lads are not. Talk about luck. I wonder what good angel is perched on my shoulder.' back over the drone he signalled with his very light pistol for landing lights his takeoff having been too sudden to permit of thinking of ground flares he circled the field waiting for the lights no response he signalled again still no response too much excitement i guess he mused then he flew low over the remains of the burning plane, around which had gathered a large group large enough mcgee thought to include every man of the squadron from the c o down to the lowliest grease-ball. Humph! A fine target you'd make, Red snorted, and felt like throwing his very pistol into the group. Well, here goes. I've made darker landings than this, and if I crack up... He smiled as a grim Irish bull flashed through his mind. It will be a good lesson to the ground crew. Nothing like Irish humor at a time like this. End of chapter 4, part A